Hey everyone, I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com slash membership and use the coupon code PODCAST10 to get 10% off an annual plan. Special thanks to Omida, the exclusive sponsor of Season 2 of the AMO Podcast. My guest this week is Alexis Grant, founder of the recently launched They Got Acquired, a publication dedicated to covering online acquisitions in the $100K to $50 million range. In our discussion, we talked about the critical pieces to launching the business effectively, how she thinks about the team, and why it is so important to have monetization in mind when launching a new media company. I hope you enjoy our discussion. So on your about page, you say that you launched They Got Acquired because you had gone through two exits in six years and realized there were no good resources for entrepreneurs like you, aka those not trying to build unicorns. Can you talk about your media career and how it set you up to create They Got Acquired? Yeah. So my... First exit was a content marketing agency, and it was a small exit. This is this is my the first time I really started running a business. I I um, my background's in journalism, so uh, after um, I worked in journalism for a few years, I got the bug to start running my own thing, and I started I started as a freelancer, like many people do, and turned that into a small content marketing agency. And that ended up being acquired by one of our clients. So at the time, we ran blogs for other businesses. This was in like 2010, from 2010 to 2015. And one of our clients was a um, a site, a personal finance site called The Penny Hoarder. And we, so we were running the content for that site. We didn't start it. The founder started it. And, and he came to us after he realized that he wanted to spend more time on the business and less time thinking about the content. <clears throat> and so we worked for him for about a year and a half um, before he acquired that company. It was an aqua hire, which means that he brought myself and several members of my team and our processes for creating content in-house there so that we could focus on growing the content operation at the penny quarter. So I stayed there f- until 2019 and um, we can talk more about that, but it was a, it was a really great experience getting to scale a, a media company. It, it was also bootstrapped. Everything I've worked on has been bootstrapped, but the company did very well. So we had a lot of resources and I got to learn how to build something that was much bigger than I was doing on my own. And when I left there in 2019, I picked up a, another project that I had, I had started years earlier when I was running the agency as a side hustle or a little side project that the agency was running. And it was called The Right Life. It's a website for writers. And I picked that up after I left the penny order. Um, it was kind of, I was in a transition trying to figure out what I want to do. Did I want to work on it? I ended up working on that uh, business for about a year. Um, not full time, but just dabbling it here and there, trying to figure out if I wanted to spend more time on it um, and decided in the end to sell that company. So that was in early 2021. So going through both of those experiences of selling made me realize that, yeah, there's not a lot of resources for uh, entrepreneurs that are 
have, you know, um, six or seven figure exits. And I wanted to help fill that gap. And so the penny hoarder obviously acquired for about $100 million. I don't know the exact numbers out there. Uh, But you spent nearly four years there. And the team grew from you being the third person to there being over 100 people on the team. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from experiencing that sort of really fast growth in a pretty short period of time that has informed your strategy with they got acquired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because we're throwing around a lot of acquisitions. To clarify, that company was purchased by a public company. The Penny Hoarder was purchased in 2020, um, and that was actually after I left. <coughs> so in the in the years prior to that, I was there from 2015. Well, I worked with the founder since 2014, um, and I left in 2019. Um, what did I learn while I was there? Uh, so much. Um, Part of that was realizing like what I like most about scaling and and what I don't like, um, and where my strengths fall. So I got to do a lot of the um, infrastructure building in the early days, and I realized I really enjoy that. <clears throat> we did strength uh, strength finder at, at the company, which I came in to that being a total skeptic. I don't really, I'm not really into like <laughs> all these personality tests, but I did it, and I, I there was a real learning for me there in that one of my top strengths, my top strength was futuristic, which, which makes sense for an entrepreneur. Um, but then my, my second one was a ranger. And what that means is I like to put the pieces in place to help other people succeed. And I never had really, uh, prior to that, I hadn't really thought of that as, as a strength that I could lean into. I hadn't really thought of it as, um, like I knew it was uh, vaguely, I knew I was good at it, but, um, once I put my finger on that, I really leaned into that. And, and so I, I got to focus on a lot of our um, our infrastructure in the early days, a lot of hiring. I, I helped to grow our content team. So I was getting the right people in the door, figuring out what everyone would do, how would our, um, what was our process for creating and publishing content, um, including like distribution and SEO and, and the marketing pieces and how did that all work together. So I think that was the biggest piece is just getting to go through that process and, and um and learning along the way. So let's lean into uh, they got acquired and, and talk about really what you think the long-term business here is. Because I think what's really fascinating about this is nobody, we talked about this at the top of the show, nobody talks about this type of business acquisition, right? It's either Mark Zuckerberg and becoming a multi-billionaire or it's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. There's There's nothing really in the middle, which is the vast majority of these businesses. So what is the content strategy for They Got Acquired? And how do the various pieces of content that you're creating fit into a broader strategy for the business? Mm -hmm. So on the front end, we're a media company. And that's really what my strength is and one of the reasons why I wanted to build it. We have content around, um, we tell different stories of different entrepreneurs who have built businesses and sold them and how they did it. And then we also offer resources. So for example, we have a post that went live recently about um, mistakes you don't want to make in in your first LOI, your first letter of intent. So I think a lot of the the content we can provide that's tactical will be really helpful, especially to first-time sellers who are going through the process for the first time. Because when you're building your business, like a, a lot of people who end up selling their business, they they might not have that in mind from the beginning, especially first-time entrepreneurs, it's different if it's your second or third time. But you're building your business head down. You're not thinking about how to sell a company. You're thinking about how can I make this business sustainable and profitable? And then suddenly you have an opportunity to sell and there's a real learning curve. You have to learn that really quickly. 
So our goal is to help those entrepreneurs get through, get through that time. Um, so we have content on the website. We also have a podcast and that that's, um, purely stories from founders, at least at the moment, I get a lot of pitches from experts who want to talk about acquisitions, but, um, at the moment we're, we're really, it's a really story, a storytelling narrative type podcast. Um, <clears throat> and then on the back end, we are building a database of all these acquisitions. So we have more than a thousand that we know fit our criteria and our criteria is pretty simple. The business has to be primarily online. So we wouldn't cover a brick and mortar. Um, it has to have sold since 2017 and the deal price has to be between a hundred thousand and 50 million, which is a really big, a, a huge space to play in. And, um, you know, some, some people would say, I think the six and seven figure sales have more in common than some, some of the eight figure ones. Um, but I think there's something we can learn from all of those. So our goal in terms of monetizing this is to use that database and sell the insights that we can, that we get our hands on through the database, which is new for me because, you know, I've done a couple of different, um, models for monetization you know, at the penny order, we did performance marketing. So sending leads to, to our clients. Um, I've done a lot with affiliates. Um, and obviously, it, you know, sponsorships and advertising is always a great option in media companies, but I'm really interested personally in taking this, um, the data route and being able to sell reports that are based on the data that we collect. I want to talk about revenue in a little bit, but you launched your content marketing blogging agency probably about a little over a decade ago. I remember when I was first getting started, building blogs and stuff was at a similar time. Growth at that time looks very different than it does today. Mm-hmm. You know, there the things we did back then to get people to visit our sites, the tactics we tried, they're just they're just different, right? So what has what have been the early priorities for you? now in 2022 to grow the audience for your site that is probably different than what you were prioritizing say a decade ago yeah that's a good question and to be honest like this is one of the things that i think always makes growing a media company challenging is even if you've done it before you haven't done it in this moment in time and this moment in time is different than the last moment in time that you built something so, you know, on a days on a day when I'm not feeling as confident, I might say to myself, could I do this? Like, yeah, I've done it before. I've built a few minute companies, but I haven't built it in this moment in time. And there are certain challenges about right now. Um, so we only launched in February and the things we focused on initially have really been very scrappy. And a lot of it's been based around me. You know, I have a team of 12, about 12 contractors right now. Most of them are doing um, th- the content pieces. Um, and I'm, I'm, I have someone now who I'm training up on some of the more growth strategy parts. Um, but initially it was really just, um, outreach and trying to get people one by one onto the email list. One thing that's different is I think, uh, years ago when I was building the right life, for example, I always had an eye on website traffic and I have, I have barely checked the website traffic since we launched. I don't really care what the website traffic is now. And my husband and I were talking about that today. We went on a hike this morning and he's like, what, what's everyone doing on the website? And I said, you know what? It just hasn't really been my priority to like the website. I want people to convert over to the email list. So that's what I have my eye on is whether they're converting. But our number one KPI really is email. 
and that was always important, but I think, well, I've, le- I've learned through the years, the importance of having one North star. And so knowing from the beginning that that's our North star has, has allowed me to help keep our team focused on that. And is the primary promotion of the newsletter, the call to action on the website? Have you experimented with, you know, lead magnets or various other sorts of ways to get people to sign up? Or is it really the prominent call to action that's on the website right now? We will have more ways of getting on TV, the website to, to the, onto the email list, but we, ha- we haven't really done much yet right now. We just, it's just through the website and through the pod, the podcast. So now that the podcast launched, we've had, we've had four episodes so far and we have an ad in the podcast for ourselves, like for the newsletter. So we sold a few sponsorships, but rather than fill that entire um, sponsorship slot with paid sponsorships, we opted to use some of the inventory to send people to our newsletter. So let's talk about revenue because you know it seems as if right out of the gate you're already making money or at least generating revenue. You know, I imagine it's still a new business. Profitability is takes time. On your advertise page, you talk about sponsorships tied to your newsletter, to your podcast. You mentioned reports. Can you talk in more detail about the various products that you're offering to partners? And then also, how do you decide on what to charge for them? I find for people who are launching their first media company, this is one of the hardest things to figure out is, what do I charge for an ad? Mm -hmm. How'd you do it? Well... We're still super new, so this is all like evolving as we speak. But I can tell you what we have at the moment is we have uh, we have a newsletter, and each newsletter has one sponsor, and they, they have a logo at the top, and then they have a sponsor message in the newsletter. And we launched out of the gate with one newsletter a week, and we just increased that to two a week, partly because I realized that we've we already have plenty of content to do two a week. Um, I don't really. For us, I don't think the right strategy is to have this like super long email. I want to have shorter emails that give people the information they need really quickly. And so I would prefer to have two a week than one long one a week. And it also gave us more inventory for sponsorships. So we just moved to the two a week. Um, we have, so we have the newsletter and then um, we've already finished recording uh, this season of the podcast, our first season. But for the next season, which we'll probably be in the fall, I don't know the details of it yet, but it looks like it'll be in the fall. We we expect to sell sponsorships for that podcast. Um, we'll probably sell it for the whole season just to make it easier on ourselves. <clears throat> and then I also expect us to have other opportunities for advertisers. So um, when our reports start being launched, so just to back up for a second, some of the insights that we hope to release from the database, um, I can give some examples. Um when I was selling my content company, I wished I had examples of other content companies that have sold. So I would love to allow other entrepreneurs to download reports of, say, you know, 15 content companies that sold last year for six or seven figures. So you can look at all the metrics around those other companies that are similar to yours and think about how yours might fit in there. Kind of like real estate comps like you do for your house. So I could see a world where a sponsor might want to um, sponsor that. Um, another product we're working on is um, <clears throat> companies that buy SaaS companies. So if you're looking to sell your SaaS company, these are some of the PE firms and, and other companies that you might want to pitch uh, and tell them that you want to sell it to. So um, those are some of, some of the products that we have not released yet, but we're, we're working on them. And that when they come out, we're hoping that some of them will be paired along with a sponsorship. And in terms of how do we price them, 
I mean, <laughs> it's just shot in the dark at the beginning. My, my barometer is if people say no, then it's too high. Um, <clears throat> but I started out with a 5k sponsorship. So this was when we launched, we had about a thousand people on our email list because I had worked ahead of launch. I had worked to try with just a simple landing page to try and get people on the email list. And so at launch, I offered a few sponsors, um, a, a 5k package. And I think I can't remember exactly what it looked like, but it was a few, it was a few newsletters and like one or two podcast sponsorships. Um, which sounds like a lot now to me, but at the time, you know, we only had a thousand subscribers, so, um, we didn't have a huge list to work with. What, what's been really interesting though, is, you know, it's new to me to be in a space where, uh, I think, I think this is a good space for, for, for sponsorships. Um, I, I compare it to the right life where, uh, the writing industry is, is very different and that, you know, writers don't have a ton of money and therefore a lot of the companies that serve them, you know, they, they want, they have to get a lot of customers to make it worth their while. If you look at this space I'm in now, first of all, there's lots of companies that are really eager to get in front of entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that are thinking about selling their, their businesses, whether they're talking about wealth management, um, uh, so all these marketplaces, M&A broke, M&A advisors and brokers, uh, they're all like itching to get in front of these audience because because there really isn't another there's certainly not another content company like ours that focuses on this particular moment in time for a company the acquisition moment um, and and you know a lot of the information of the content that's online around acquisitions comes from the brokers or the M and advisors or the people who are in there themselves so it's not it's not a um, they have a dog in the fight, right. <laughs> or like more of like a third party where they can use us to reach um, the entrepreneurs who want to sell. So what I'm saying is I think that there's a lot of opportunity here for sponsorships because these companies really want to reach these entrepreneurs and we can help them do that. And, and for one of these companies, if they get say one client or one customer through our newsletter, that could be really valuable for them. This episode is brought to you by Omida. Marketing automation is a critical part of the growth engine for publishers. But what are the must-have features in a marketing automation tool? Omida has a new playbook that gives you everything you need to find the right tool and the three elements needed to design great marketing campaigns. Download the playbook at omida.com playbook. And now, back to our discussion. Big debate over the past couple of years has been the advertising versus uh, subscription one. And right now, at least, you've put yourself on one side of that debate by going with advertising. Why did you opt for an advertising first approach? Have you thought about subscriptions? Again, I understand the business is two months old and I'm asking a lot of questions that are perhaps forward thinking, but I'd be curious to know your you know, you're thinking here when so many newsletters and so many of these publications were launching subscription first, you opted to go ad first. Mm -hmm. I'd love to understand your thinking there. Yeah. I actually consider myself to be going data database first because the database is how we want to monetize long-term. Um, I've thought from the beginning, I've thought of the sponsorships as secondary. Um, but because I've noticed since we launched just how much opportunity is there, I'm, I'm going to dial that up a little bit to help us pay for the site until the database 
reports can can be released and start making us money. Um, but the reason why I wanted to do this instead of go the sponsorship route is because, quite frankly, I think it's more fun to have free content, like content that's available to everybody in front of a paywall. You can reach so many more people, whereas if you're behind a paywall, your growth opportunities you can do, there's tons of people succeeding at this, but you have to grow in a different way because it's not, um, there's a lot of things that I think you can do if you have a lot of free content in front of a paywall that you can't do if, if it's only a smaller number of people reading something behind a paywall. So in terms of growth, I think it's easier. I, I personally, like a lot, and a lot of my experience has been growing through free content. So, you know, maybe eventually we'll, we'll put something behind a paywall, whether it's um, a newsletter subscription or we might have a subscription membership option on our site where you can only see a certain number of content pieces before you have to pay. I don't know, I'm just, these are all things that are on the table right now, but my preference is to grow with free content and get that brand, that foundational, like people love the brand, people are loyal, they, they're into what you're doing and then launch a paid product. And so then going back to the reports, will the reports be primarily sponsor driven or are they going to be paid reports where like I, if I want to understand the 19 companies that the content companies that sold over the past two years between a million and 10 million, is that something that I'm going to fork over my credit card for? So we have a couple ideas here. For one, I do think that entrepreneurs who are going to sell or want to sell their company would be it would be helpful to them to be able to see comps of other businesses that have sold. And I mean, big big businesses do this already. Huge companies have that type of information at their fingertips, but no one's gathered it for these size companies. Um, But then eventually, I'd also like it to be able to be more customized, so I can see a world in the future where you might have a subscription or a membership to the site and be able to log in and pull your own report. Say, hey, I'd like to see this type of company that sold for this amount that had this many page views or had this many email subscribers or whatever's important to you and, and be able to filter through the data you know, on your own. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. I think there has been a real big push over the past few years for companies to use content to acquire audience to then push into data plays in some sort of a way. And I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, I wrote about it, uh, I want to say it was six or seven months ago. Um, mm-hmm. just because I think it's really a fascinating area, um, to play in. Yeah. The interesting thing here is like, cause I've been thinking a lot and I'd love to write a blog post about this at some point when I can find the time, but I've been thinking a lot about how so many content companies create the content but they sell something else. And so in addition to running a content operation, you're also having, if people aren't paying directly for the content, you're also having to run the other operation of like what you're making or selling or layering on top, whether that's a course or, I mean, there's a million different ways you can do it, but many of the content businesses work that way where the content is free on the front end and funnel people toward them. And what I like about what we're doing is there's so many synergies by, by covering this by covering the stories of entrepreneurs who have sold, we're, we're building the front end of our media company. We're also populating our database at the same time. Kill two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your team a little bit. Um, you have these great company cards 
that I think are a core part of every story, you'll, you'll put the deal terms right on, on the left side and you have your own, right. That says you have a team of 11, although you mentioned before 12 contractors. When you were at the penny hoarder, you built this giant team, right. Of a hundred plus people and all that, probably a lot of them in house. How have you thought about, you know, the, the, the benefits of taking a freelance first approach or is that only in the beginning, but at some point you'll pivot and start bringing people in-house? I'd love to understand your thinking about that, especially as you're building this bootstrap business where at the end of the day, you have to pay the bills until the thing's profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the primary reason I have freelancers and not employees is because I'm bootstrapping. <clears throat> I also, I believe in a remote first environment. Um, and I think you can get the best people when you have a remote first environment. Um, and some, some writers like to be freelancers too. So when, especially when you're looking, thinking about like writers and reporters and editors, um, for a, for a site, like what we're doing, diversity matters, like having different voices of perspective, even though they're writing, basically writing news stories. Um, it helps to have a number of different bylines because I have different people with different backgrounds coming to the stories. So I actually wouldn't want one person writing all the stories right now, even though that would be more efficient. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's on purpose that we have a portfolio of writers because they bring their perspectives to the piece. Um, but my eventual goal is I could definitely see a world where we have a few employees. I, I have no ambitions to build a huge company. Like I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. That's kind of, it's one of the ethos, you know, it's the ethos behind they got acquired is you don't have to build a huge company to do really well. Um, do I want to bring in a lot of revenue and a lot of profit? Yes. Do I want to, you know, have a hundred people on my team? No. <laughs> so I, I'm really, um, I have long been amazed and fond of the model of having a small team people wise that can do really well revenue wise. And also in terms of impact. Um, so initially we're starting out with freelancers. My hope is that once we're making more money, we can bring in a couple of empo- a couple of employees. But I suspect we'll always have um, both some employees and some freelancers. And the bulk of those people are focused, um, at least based on the company page, exclusively on content. Mm-hmm. You don't have, as far as I could tell, anybody focused on the quote business side of the operation. No. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so since I'm bootstrapping, (laughs) I'm thinking about what are the easiest things to delegate. And for me, the content operation is the part that comes, you know, it's not easy, but it it feels fairly straightforward to me. Um, I, my background is like really been in building content teams. So what I've done is I've built the content part of the business where, you know, it can't all run without me yet, but even just a few months in, we're getting there. Um, some of the pieces are running without me, which is helpful. So I can think about other things. Um, so yeah, we have, we have a handful of reporters and editor, and I don't think the about page it's missing a couple of people right now. Um, but yeah, an editor, we have a, a podcast producer, a designer. Um, and I have an operations, um, manager who's helping with the keep things moving. But what I would love to hire for is, um, someone to help with like growth, um, audience growth. I mean, the side, you asked about the side of the business side. I've basically been doing that. Um, for me, it's more about like, how do I balance when you're bootstrapping? You have to think about 
what's the most important thing to put your money in into? Like, there are things I can do, but I shouldn't do. But then <laughs> you, you have to really think about like, well, how do you spend your money? You know, right now I'm spending about um, twelve thousand dollars a month. Um, so, and my goal is by the end of the year, I'd like to be covering all of that expense. Um, so on our way to profitable, but I'm not, I'm not pulling a salary right now myself. I want to spend a little time talking about the technology stack because you put out this great pie chart about the costs to launch the business, right? And it said, I think it said something like $31,000 to launch the business Mm -hmm. of which the largest chunk of that was, um, content, Mm -hmm. I think like $12,000. And then I think the next largest chunk was the website. I'd love to understand what the technology stack is that powers they got acquired. It's really simple, which is what I love about building online businesses. It's just knowing what tools you want to use. Um, we use WordPress, but we built a custom theme so it, we can, and like, this is one of the benefits of having built a number of content companies is I know exactly what I want in the back end. Um, I've worked a lot with SEO, for example. So there are features that we want to have on the back end that don't come in an out-of-the-box theme that, um, like, for example, um, I want to be able to update a dateline. Instead of just having the dateline for each story, when we update a story, I want it to say updated. Um, but I also want to hide it from the homepage. I don't want it to pop up on the, on the homepage necessarily every time, like if we update it. Um, so there's little things like that that we are able to build into the theme, which is helpful. Um, we use ConvertKit for sending our emails, which has been great. And I, I'm hoping that that will scale with us. <laughs> I, I think it's it's not necessarily the preferred ESP for big media companies. So we'll see. But I, I love the simplicity of it. Um, and, and I also love how easy they make it to create um, autoresponders and like sequences. We haven't done a lot of that, but we will. Um, we, we, we're in the middle of building some of that out now. What other tools can I tell you about? What, are there any in particular you're curious about? I'd love to know, you're talking about this database that you're building out. I'd love to understand, like, how are you going to build that? Because that could be a massive undertaking if, mm-hmm. you know, be overcomplicated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an Airtable. Um, and this is my first time using Airtable. So that's been cool because I've gotten to le- learn a new tool. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, we, uh, I've used Airtable in the past. It can, it can do basically whatever you want. It's like a fancy Excel sheet with a ton of logic. So, mm-hmm. uh, if anyone from Airtable is listening, thanks for, <laughs> for a cool yeah. tool. Yeah, it's funny because my husband's um, my husband's a Google Sheets expert. He sells courses on how to use Google Sheets. So we do like everything in Sheets in, in my family. <laughs> so it was a real jump to push to push over to Airtable. But I found it to be this is a complicated. I mean, as far as the database goes, I suppose it's not that complicated. But there are tons and tons of fields. It's way too complicated for a sheet. So it's it's been nice to be in there. So. The publication is a few months old, right? You're still kind of figuring out where, you know, what works, what doesn't work and all that. But, you know, when we talked at the top of the episode, you're not new to this, right? You've launched multiple things before. You you, you were at the Penny Hoarder where it grew from three people to 100 plus. Revenue grew considerably. The content operation grew considerably. When you were planning to launch, before you even like hit publish on day one. What were some of the things that you felt were absolutely critical to launching the business effectively? 
number one email list. That's why I had a, I put a landing page up as soon as I was even like, I wasn't even positive I was going to do this. And I put a landing page up because I wanted to first of all, test if anyone cared, <laughs> but then if they did care, I wanted to collect their email from day one. So that when we were launching, when we launched, we didn't launch to crickets. And that really helped a lot. <clears throat> I mean, in fact, you know, we've gotten some great coverage. We got a story in the New York times that was really because I had built the email list ahead of the launch and it was only a thousand people, but there were some great people on there and they cared about what we were doing. Um, so that was the first piece. Um, I mean, high quality content to me is a given and probably is to anyone listening to this, but I think for people who aren't content first when they're building a media company, um, it's, it's worth noting is just how can the content be really good? Um, I put a lot of thought into that because especially right now, credibility is so important online for media companies. There's so much, you know, crap out there that if, if you don't gain people's trust from the beginning, then, then it's gone. So for example, one of the things, one of the features we have on the site is if you look at the bottom of any story, there's a, a little sources um, pop out. You can click on the sources and it will pop out and show you the sources that we relied on for that story. So you can see where we got our information from. So we really try to be transparent about like, here's what we got firsthand. Here's what we got from someone else. Um, just letting people know. Right now, very much zero to one. But let's fast forward a few years. Let's put the dream hat on, the ambition hat on, the you know where I want to be hat on. In three to five years, where do you want to see they got acquired? I want us to be the number one place people go if they're thinking about selling their business or if they want to build a business that will eventually be, get acquired. So like right now, we're focusing on the moment of acquisition. But I think there are so many learnings in there for people who want to build a business that will get acquired in three or five years. Are there specific products you know that you imagine expanding into? Do you think it will look similar to what it is today? <laughs> well, I'll say I'm pretty good at rolling with it um, because even though I have ideas, and you know, for an example, I mentioned earlier that I'd love to have a. Um, a membership login where you can log in and sort through the data yourself. Like that's one thing I envision, but already, you know, a few months into this, there are things that are different now than I envisioned them at the beginning. So I try to really stay open-minded and not think too far ahead because I know that things will change. I want to end with the same two questions that I ask every single operator that comes on the show. First, what is a mistake that you have made in your career that you wish you hadn't? And what did you learn from it? not firing fast enough. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite parts about doing this is growing the teams. And in fact, I work, I often end up working with some of the same people for my next project that I worked with on the previous project. And I love watching those people grow and going on to get, no, get new opportunities. And I think because of that, I have made the mistake of letting people stick around for too long when they were bringing down not only themselves, but you know, the team. So I th I've gotten better at that over time. It's, it's an important skill. And then what is some advice you would give someone who is thinking about launching their first media company today? Think about monetization from the beginning, because I think a lot of people that start media companies, they love the content. They love the storytelling. They're into the content part of the business. And it's, you know, 
when you start, sometimes it makes sense to say, oh, let me start this and then I can see if I can make some money off of it. But if you really want it to be um, something that's going to sustain you and your fam- your family and an entire team, it makes sense to come in from the beginning knowing how you're going to make money. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news, and on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.